You're listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. This is a chronological Bible study going chapter by chapter, discovering Christ in all of Scripture. This is Numbers chapter 21, verses 1 through 3, Canaanites defeated at Hormah. Still on the east side of the Jordan, the Israelites had many enemies to defeat. They had been in conflict with this particular king before, recorded in Numbers 14. After the spies had given a bad report, some people changed their minds and went up presumptuously to attack the Canaanites. It says, Then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who lived in that hill country came down and attacked them and beat them down all the way to Hormah. So now we read, When the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming along the road to Atharim, he attacked the Israelites and captured some of them. But they had learned their lesson. This time they humbled themselves to pray, recognized their dependence on God, and vowed that if he helped them, they would be obedient in dedicating everything to God. Then Israel made this vow to the Lord, If you will deliver these people into our hands, we will totally destroy their cities. The Lord listened to Israel's plea and gave the Canaanites over to them. They completely destroyed them and their towns, so the place was named Hormah. Horma means banned or devoted to destruction. So this was the first victory of the Israelites over the Canaanites. This was utter destruction. They took no spoils. This was a high point. But this significant military victory was quickly followed by a terrible spiritual defeat. Verses 4 through 9, the bronze snake. After this triumph, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom because the Edomites refused to allow them to go through their territory. So because they had to take this long, circuitous route, heading right back to the Red Sea where they started, the people became frustrated. They may have been angry at Moses for failing to engage the Edomites in battle. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses, and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. To detest is to feel intense and often violent apathy towards something. They loathed this bread. And this is not the first time they complained about manna. In Numbers chapter 11, God's response was to give them quail. They had forgotten that this was a miracle. God rained bread on them from heaven for 40 years, six days a week. They did not have to work for it or pay for it. They only had to gather it. The manna did not run out, and they always had enough. Yet at this point, they had eaten a steady diet of manna for 40 years. They would not eat other food again until they came to the border of Canaan. They were beyond tired of it. They didn't appreciate God's provision. So they grumbled to Moses, not realizing they were really complaining to God. Not for the first time. And, not for the last time, God disciplined his people. In this case, he sent venomous snakes among them, and many died. God controls his creatures and uses them for his purposes. As is usually the case, punishment makes you see the error of your ways. They wanted the judgment to stop. They knew they had to approach God through a mediator. The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. 
they realized that their sin was against both God and Moses. Moses intercedes for the people, confessing their sin against God and imploring him to stop the punishment. God's response was unusual. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up <coughs> on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. This was another miracle. Objects are not anti-venom. It was made of bronze to represent judgment. The altar in the tabernacle was overlaid with bronze to withstand fire. God could have removed the snakes as easily as he sent them, or healed the people without the means of the bronze snake. But if the snakes disappeared on their own, the doubters would have said it happened by chance. But instead, he had Moses make an image of a bronze serpent on a pole, and he did this to further test his people. On a side note, today we use the symbol of a serpent on a pole as a sign of health. We see it on ambulances. It was used as far back as Roman times. I saw it in the ruins of the city of ancient Ephesus in Turkey. It was a sign at a medical clinic. So they had no hope apart from the remedy provided by God. They didn't come up with this idea themselves. God took the initiative to save them. It required faith in what God said to do it his way. They had to have faith that God's word was enough to save. It may have seemed ridiculous. Just look at a representative of the problem. No matter how desperate their case, one look in faith would be enough to cure them. Isaiah 45:22 says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Some versions say, Look to me and be saved. This text in Isaiah was used by God to convert Charles Spurgeon, who went on to become a great preacher and soul winner himself. Look what happened as time went on. The children of Israel preserved this snake on a pole. They were thankful for being healed in this miraculous way. So thankful, in fact, they started to think the bronze serpent on the pole was the cause of their miraculous cure, rather than God. They created an idol of it, gave it a name, and began to worship it. King Hezekiah destroyed it so that they could no longer worship it. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made, for up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. There were three key areas wherein the Israelites failed. First, they complained about God's provision. Then, they didn't believe the simplicity of the cure. And finally, they made an idol of the symbol. Do you see yourself in any of these scenarios, or even all of them? I think I would have been a grumbler, personally. Verses 10 through 19, the journey to Moab. Then we're given an itinerary of the movements of the camp of Israel, circling around Edom and Moab and encamping on the north side of the Arnon River in the territory of the Amorites. Moses mentions the Book of the Wars of the Lord, which may have been a book of victory songs current at this time, which we no longer have access to. It may have been written by Moses as well. 
It gives evidence that the Arnon River is the northern border of Moab. From there they continued on to Beer, which means well of water, where God said, Gather the people together, and I will give them water. They were so grateful for the water they sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing about it, about the well that the princes dug, that the nobles of the people sank, the nobles with scepters and staffs. They likely added this song to the Book of the Wars. So they stop when they get to the valley in Moab where the top of Mount Pisgah overlooks the wasteland. Verses 21 through 32, Defeat of King Sihon. As previously with the king of Edom, Moses uses diplomacy and sends messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites. He asks, Let us pass through your country. We will not turn aside into any field or vineyard or drink water from any well. We will travel along the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not let Israel pass through his territory. He mustered his entire army and marched out into the wilderness against Israel. When he reached Jahaz, he fought with Israel. Unlike Edom, whom they were forbidden to engage militarily, here there was no such requirement. So Israel responded to the attack on them, and this king was defeated. They went only as far as the border of the Ammonites, because their border was fortified. Ammon is modern-day Jordan, with the capital city of Ammon. It lies east of the Jordan River. Israel captured all his cities and occupied them. Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken from him all his land as far as the Arnon. Then Moses quotes the Amorite poets who wrote about the Amorites' defeat of the Moabites. Ironically, just as the Amorites had taken land from the Moabites, now Israel took the land from the Amorites. Like Edom, Israel was not to take any land belonging to the Moabites because God had promised it to the descendants of Lot. But they were promised the land belonging to the Amorites, so they took it. Moab is described as the people of Chemosh. Chemosh was their idol. It's believed the goddess Astarte, or Ashtar, was associated with Chemosh. He was also the national deity of the Ammonites, as well as Milcom, or Molech. Chemosh is also called the detestable god of Moab, because his worship included child sacrifice. Ruth was a Moabite. Here they had celebrated their defeat by Sihon, who, was, who then was defeated by Israel in turn. Woe to you, Moab! You are destroyed, people of Chemosh. He has given up his sons as fugitives and his daughters as captives to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Then Moses sent spies to Jazer, captured its surrounding settlements, and drove out the Amorites who were there as well. Verses 33-35, to 35, Defeat of King Og The land north of the Jabbok River was under the control of Og, another Amorite king. As Israel approached, Og and his whole army from Bashan marched out to meet them in battle. This must have been intimidating to see, so God reassured Moses, Do not be afraid of him, for I have delivered him into your hands, along with his whole army and his land. Do to him what you did to Sion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon. So they struck him down, 
together with his sons and his whole army, leaving them no survivors, and they took possession of his land. Now all the land in the Transjordan region, from the Arnon River in the south to the heights of Bashan in the north, became the possession of Israel. Scarlet Threads So what scarlet threads, or hints of Jesus Christ, or application to the Gospel, do we find in this chapter? The Israelites were guilty of ingratitude, but we are to be a thankful people. They showed contempt for the bread God provided. Do we neglect God's word which feeds us spiritually? Here we saw ungrateful people muttering and complaining about God's provision and God's leader, under judgment, unable to save themselves. They were to look to the remedy provided by God himself, and they were saved by looking at it in faith. We know this is a beautiful picture of Christ and the simple offer of the gospel because Jesus himself makes the connection. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This was a prophecy of his execution by crucifixion. In the context where Jesus says this, he is speaking to Nicodemus, who also thought he was in a position to judge God's chosen leader, but instead needed to look to him in faith, which he eventually did. They could do nothing to save themselves. They had no hope apart from the remedy provided by God. Likewise, we would have no hope apart from the gospel. We must look to him in faith. They didn't come up with this remedy themselves. God took the initiative to save them. We also have no hope apart from God's method of salvation, which he initiated to save us. No matter how scarlet our sins, one look in faith will save us. When the Israelites were bitten by the snakes, it made those who saw others dying cry out in repentance and beg for mercy from God. When the law shows us our sin, we run to Jesus our mediator to intercede for us, to save us from the judgment that brings death, and he does. The people who maligned Moses soon were appealing to him for help. Many of the people who mocked and cursed Jesus and put him to death were later saved. Many who curse Jesus in this life will one day beg for mercy, but it will be too late. They are told that in order to be cured from snake bite, they must look at this snake on a pole. They had to make a conscious choice to do this. It took faith to believe that the remedy was what God said it was. Whoever looked could be saved. There was no discrimination. It was amazing grace and free of cost. Whoever calls on God will be saved. There is no distinction. The offer of grace is the same for all, and it is free. It is amazing grace. Once they knew that a cure or remedy was available, I can imagine that they dropped everything and ran to it. Nothing else would matter. Jesus is the buried treasure and pearl of great price. We should count all else as garbage in order to obtain him. The snake was on a pole, and they were both made of bronze, which represented judgment. This material could withstand fire, which was why it overlaid the wood frame of the altar. Also, it's part of the description of Jesus in the book of Revelation. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, 
These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Why would God command the Israelites to make something that could be considered an idol or an image, especially since it was forbidden in the second commandment? We saw that they did eventually worship it. Well, because on one level, the Israelites' main problem was deadly snake bite, but on another level, deadly sin brought in to the world through the serpent. So how is Jesus like a serpent? Just as the image of the serpent was the cure for the problem of snake bite, so Jesus on the cross took our sin on himself. When Christ took the burden of our sin, he became the remedy for our sin. He removed the curse of sin by becoming a curse for us. So is this too easy? Yes and no. Yes, because all we have to do is believe in the sufficiency of the finished work of Christ. We do not need to add any of our own works to it. Indeed, we dare not. We have to have Jesus only, not Jesus plus anything else. Only faith in Jesus is our remedy for sin. And no, because a life of faith is never easy. Our tendency is always to want to add to it. We are proud of our accomplishments, our disciplined life, even our faith. Our minds are idol factories. We must avoid that. God blessed his people with water from a well, resulting in praise to God. Jesus promises us living water by the indwelling spirit. And when we reach heaven, we will drink from the river of the water of life. The Israelites defeated two powerful kings because God was with them and gave them the victory. This must have encouraged Moses to see the beginning of the conquest of nations, even if he would not see its conclusion. Jesus fights for us and has already defeated our enemies. You've been listening to the podcast Bible Companion series by author P.H. Thompson. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and comment. Continue listening for Numbers chapter 22. May God bless the study of his word.